Welcome to SuccessfulSavior.org, the ministry of Harmony Primitive Baptist Church in Donaldson, Arkansas. Welcome back to the family reunion. Day two, we were blessed last night with a wonderful message from the Word of God. I think I described it afterwards as a meat and potatoes helping of uh, Christian doctrine. We, we talked about the new birth and the sovereign nature of that work, and we've got new members in the church, and it's good to hit those fundamentals and to talk about them. They are things most surely believed among us. They are distinctives, not believed by many, honestly, in this day and age, the sovereign nature of regeneration. Uh, There are many who would say, if you don't have a preacher or a Bible tract or some kind of instrumentality of man involved, ain't nobody getting born again, but that is not what we believe. We believe in the God of heaven and earth, the giver of life. I one time had someone tell me, well, what you believe is that men are born again in a spiritual vacuum. That's what you believe. You believe men are born again in a spiritual vacuum. And I said, well, the only way that you could possibly sustain the idea that there is a spiritual vacuum is if you deny the omnipresence of God. You see, no such place exists. God is everywhere, and He is ruler over all things, and He does not require the instrumentality of man to impart life to one of His children. Did He need man's help when He breathed life into the nostrils of Adam? It was mentioned last night something about that another objection is, well, it's, a, it's salvation is a gift, but you've got to take that gift. See, they're going to give it to you, but you've got to take it. I'm telling you that everyone who's ever said that does not believe it. They don't believe it. They may tell you they believe it. That may be their doctrine. But every single one of them stands before you with the gift of natural life, which they did absolutely nothing to reach out and receive. They know it. Their very presence, their natural life that allowed them to utter such a thing is a testimony to the fact that they do not believe it. God imparts life. He's given us life. That's why we can enjoy these things. Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And we saw something of the kingdom of God last night. Well, with those things being said, I want to ask uh, Elder Carl Staten if he would open us with a word of prayer. And we'll ask him to come up and preach for us. Turn with me, if you will, to John chapter 2. I had said what I had on my mind for this weekend kind of a theme is miracles miracles so last night was about the miracle that we are having life being brought from the dead spiritually but i want to look at this morning the first miracle that jesus performed on earth as the son of man and it's recorded in john chapter 2 and it's a story you all know very well but i want to see if we can pull some life lessons out of this thing this morning John chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, it says, And the third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto him, They have no wine. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. His mother saith unto the servants, Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. 
And there were set there six water pots of stone after the manner of the purifying of the Jews containing two or three firkins apiece. Jesus saith unto them, Fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he saith unto them, Draw out now and bear unto the governor of the feast. And they bear it. When the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, and knew not whence it was, but the servants which drew the water knew, the governor of the feast called the bridegroom, and saith unto him, Every man at the beginning doth set forth good wine. And when men have well drunk, then that which is worse... But thou hast kept the good wine until now. <laughs> this beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee and manifested forth his glory and his disciples believed on him. Hmm. Everything Christ did in his life proved that he was not just another prophet. Every second that he lived proved he was not just another prophet. And how can you say every second? that he, Because every second he lived sinlessly. So that proved that he was not just another prophet. You know, there's lots of other religions in the world. Y'all know about that, don't you? I have yet to find many, if any, other than I guess just downright Satanism, you take. Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam. They hold Jesus in high regard. They do. They hold Jesus in high regard. But here's the truth about Jesus. You can't hold him in high regard. You can't simply hold him in high regard. Jesus is one of, of two things. He's Lord of all or he's lunatic. Liar. I mean, there's no in between with Jesus. He is either Lord of all, the Son of God, God manifest in the flesh who He claimed to be, or He is exponentially worse than any Jim Jones, David Koresh you could ever think of. Because He's led more people astray than anybody who's ever existed if He's not who He said He is. But He truly is and was Messiah. He is greater than all. The miracles that, per, that He performed... I mentioned last night he was not just some circus clown to entertain folks. These miracles served a purpose. The miracles proved that he had creative power over all things in the universe. Now you think about that for a minute. Exactly right. Creative power. We talked about a new creation last night. He had creative power over all things in the universe. And as I mentioned at first, these miracles while he was on earth were performed as the son of man. While he was a man, while he was on earth. Three things that I can think of that the miracle showed Christ had power over that I guess encompasses about everything. He had power over matter. All, in, all forms of matter on this earth. He had power over nature. Remember when he calmed the sea and he withered the fig tree? And, and he also had power over death, of course, as Paul said, it was the last enemy to be destroyed. This right here, of course, proved he had power over matter, this, less, this uh, miracle right here. And I want to look at what I tried to pull out of here. I tried to pull out what I think are four good practical lessons within this miracle. And one big spiritual lesson. So that's four practical lessons and a big spiritual lesson. 
The first is in verses 1 and 2. It doesn't seem like it's telling you a whole lot right there in those first two verses, but I think it is telling you a whole lot. It says, In the third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there, and both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. What that means, they were invited. Jesus and his disciples were invited too, and they went. It, the first lesson here is it is good to participate in social events. Yes, that's right. I've never understood man who will say, well, I can worship God just as good on a boat in the middle of the lake on Sunday morning fishing as I can in the church. Well, why did he set up the church then? What's it for? We worship in community, right? But I'm talking about also from a life standpoint. It's good to be with other people. We were made to live in community. After God created man, what did he say about him? It is not good that man should be alone. I have no reason to need to score brownie points this morning. I just want you all to know. As far as I know, everything is very good in my marriage. But I'm just going to tell you, I feel lost when my wife's not with me. Amen. I do. Amen. I'm supposed to. That's right. Amen. <laughs> I love it. Jesse's sitting over there because his wife's not, you know, she's taking care of her sister. Jesse's supposed to feel, yeah. He probably feels that right now. But to participate in social events, Jesus went to this wedding. Uh, remember when I said that every second of his life he lived sinless? It was not sinful for Jesus to go celebrate with these folks. This was a celebration. A marriage is a celebration. I'm, I'm, I'm weird. I know y'all are going to think I'm weird. I'm a man. I enjoy weddings. I do. I think it's because I like being married so much. I'm happy for people when they get married. I enjoy them, but I also enjoy people. Paul said in Romans chapter 12, verse 15, to rejoice with those who rejoice. I really feel for people, and you've probably all known people like this. Dare I say, we might have all been like this at some point in time. But I feel so sorry for people who are trapped by the idea that you cannot enjoy life as a Christian. That's right. Oh, God. I, I, I mean, I do. I, I feel sorry for people who are trapped by that notion. Many attempt to define godliness by abstaining from life's pleasures. It's no secret to you who know me that probably my favorite book of the Bible is Ecclesiastes. I, absolutely, I know it's my favorite Old Testament book. I just love that book because as J.I. Packer said, Psalms teaches us how to pray Proverbs teaches us how to behave. Song of Solomon teaches us how to love. Job teaches us how to suffer. And Ecclesiastes teaches us how to live. I want to know how to live in this life. How do I live a joyful, God-honoring life in this world? And just a little aside on the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon said, I tried it this way, don't be like me. That's what the book's about. But anyway... The reason I bring that up is Solomon mentions three times in Ecclesiastes. He has tried all these great things. 
He had more money. He had more power. He had more wisdom. He had more everything than anybody will ever have on this earth. And he tried to use that solely to find peace and joy and contentment under the sun and couldn't do it. Because he was not remembering the creator of the sun. And Solomon, when he's writing that book, three different times in the book, I think it's chapter 2, chapter 3, and chapter 5, I think it's where it's at. Three different times in that book, Solomon, it's like he pauses and says, I've tried all these things. And three different times he says, there is nothing better than for a man to eat and drink and enjoy the good in his labor. What's wrong with living a simple life where you enjoy the tiniest pleasures? I was sitting there this morning sitting there singing this morning and I just, I love to see those windows start lighting up. Oh, the sun's out. They're supposed to storm later. That's what they tell me. But this, just this, just hearing the birds sing, I love, I don't know if you think about this. I, I've always worked outside. Um, I was a lineman for Georgia Power Company for 24 years and I'm still in that industry. But I always notice in the springtime after winter of almost silence, when I hear that first bird chirp. And you see that first green something. Usually it's daffodils start popping up. The simple things in life, there is nothing better than to enjoy that. Because listen, failing to enjoy life is failing to acknowledge the giver of life. You know why as a Christian we can enjoy life? so much more than those who aren't, even though they think we're the ones not having fun? And that's something. Because they just enjoy the gifts. We enjoy the giver. Amen. We enjoy the gifts of life, but you know what? We enjoy the giver because we know where they came from. I want to read in the 104th Psalm the way it describes this world that God made. Now look, is there evil in the world? Of course there is. Is there stuff in the world that gets me down? Sure. Is there stuff that drives me? You know, you know what's helped? I'll give you some advice. It helped me. I hope it helps you. Turn off the news. Turn it off. You know what the news is? I, I really believe it. It's a TV show. It's entertainment. It's propaganda. It's nothing more than a soap opera. That's what it is. Yes, even Fox News. Yes. I, my life, it seemed, I got happier when I turned yeah. the news off. Amen. The 104th Psalm starts out like this in verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, thou art very great. Thou art clothed with, with honor and majesty. Who coverest thyself with light as with a garment. Who stretchest out the heavens like a curtain. He's describing this earth here. Who layeth the beams of his chambers in the waters. Who maketh the clouds of his chariot. Who walketh upon the wings of the wind. As Brother Dan said, God is everywhere. Who maketh his angel spirits, his ministers a flaming fire. Who laid the foundations of the earth that it should not be removed forever. Thou cover... Oh, let me, let, let me run that rabbit here. Who laid the foundation of the earth that it should not be removed forever. Do y'all believe the earth's going to be destroyed one day? I do. I believe Peter tells us that. But right here it said, God laid the foundation of the earth that it should not be removed forever. You know what I think that means? Despite what the news tells you about climate change, man cannot destroy God's creation. 
What an arrogant, pompous idea to think that man can alter God's creation. Are you kidding me? Genesis chapter 8 promised us we couldn't anyway. Anyway, the earth will be here till God says it won't be here. And it will be habitable till God says it's not. Thou coverest it with a deep as with a garment. The water stood above the mountains. At thy rebuke they fled. At the voice of thy thunder they hasted away. They go up by the mountains. They go down by the valleys unto the place which, which thou hast founded for them. Thou hast set a bound that they may not pass over, that they turn not again to cover the earth. He sendeth the springs into the valleys which run among the hills. They give drink to every beast of the field. The wild asses quench their thirst. By them shall the fowls of the heaven have their habitation, which sing among the branches. He watereth the hills from his chambers. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of thy work. He causeth the grass to grow for the cattle and herb for the service of man, that he may bring forth food out of the earth, and wine that maketh glad the heart of man, and oil to make his face to shine, and bread which strengtheneth, strengtheneth man's heart. For all you gluten-free people there, bread strengtheneth man's heart. The trees of the Lord are full of sap, the cedars of Lebanon which he hath planted. Where the birds make their nest, as for the stork, the fir trees are her house. The high hills are a refuge for the wild goats and the rocks for the conies. He appointed the moon for seasons, the sun knoweth his going down. Thou makest darkness, and it is night, wherein all the beasts of the forest do creep forth. The young lions roar after their prey and seek their meat from God. The sun ariseth. They gather themselves together and lay them down in their dens. Man goeth forth unto his work and to his labor until the evening. O Lord, how manifold are thy works. In wisdom hast thou made them all. The earth is so full of riches. That's the earth I want to live in. I want to focus on that. I don't want to focus on the heathen and what they're raging about. By the way, Psalm chapter 2 tells you that the Lord laughs at the heathen. And they're, what are they raging about? Okay. The Lord, will have them, the Lord will have them in derision, it says. But it's good to enjoy life and to, ascend, and to attend social events in a godly manner. You can do that. The second lesson from our text there in John chapter 2 is in verse 3. It says, And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto them, They have no wine. You know what this teaches me right there? No matter your problem, take it to Jesus. They had a problem there. It might, in the grand scheme of things, was it a big problem? Well, to the bride it might have been. We know how they get, you know, and their wedding's <laughs> off a little bit, you know. But... No matter your problem, no matter how small you think it is, no matter how big you think it is, it's not too big and it's not too small for Jesus. Take your problems to Jesus. You know what I love about his mother, too, when she took this problem to Jesus? And y'all, I, am, I wish I had a mirror right here so I could look in it when, I'm talk, when I say this, because I'm talking to me. You know what she didn't tell Jesus to do? She didn't tell him how to solve it. She just said, I got a problem and I need your help. I love to tell Jesus how to solve my problems. God help. I, thank you. God help us. She just told him the problem and left the answer up to him. 
There are times in my life, I know you too, you have had problems and you think, I don't see a solution for this. Oh, and then God comes through in a way that just blows your mind. Well, why, why couldn't I see that? Well, you're not God. And we don't need to try to play God, right? Mary, when she took this problem to Jesus, what I love about the lesson it teaches here too, it wasn't a selfish thing she took to Jesus. She interceded on behalf of others. See? She said, they have no wine. You see how she didn't go to Jesus and I need something. And we should do that too. I'm not saying that. But I love how she interceded on the behalf of others. This was a selfless issue she took to Jesus. James teaches us in James chapter 5 verse 16 that we should pray for one another. Pray one for another. You know what I've always noticed? If you read the book of Job, if you know anything about the book of Job, and I'm sure you all do, Job went through just, I mean, what this man went through was horrendous. His friends come to him, his miserable comforters are friends, and said, Job, you must have done something wrong. Now, I'll say this for his friends, at least they came. They did show up. And I will, um, I want to throw this in here while, while I'm mentioning this. I've got a lot of, um, most of you I've never met before, but I've got several dear friends in here. There's three preachers here I've been around before and feel like I know pretty well. And if they say something, I'm going to listen. I'm glad to meet, I've, this is the first time I've ever seen Brother Dan in the flesh. I feel like I've known him forever through our communication. I'm glad to meet Brother Sonny. But these other three men here, you know, I really, when they talk, I, I listen. And I'm thankful for that. But in the story of Job, Elihu, the young man went last. He, he, he respected his elders, let them go first. And you know what? He was right. He's the one who got it right. So younger people... Don't let your age discourage you. Paul told Timothy that. But I love how he respected his elders first. But you know when the Lord turned the captivity of Job? That's exactly what, the, what it says in Job chapter 42, the very last chapter of the book. In verse 10, it says, And the Lord turned the captivity of Job. Y'all know what it says next? When he prayed for who? For his friends. When Job took the focus off of himself. The Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. And then it says also the Lord gave Job twice as much as before. But when Job took the focus off of his woe is me attitude. Now I'm not saying he was not justified for having that. I'd have probably acted much worse than he did. But the Lord turned the captive. Jesus loves, loves it when you help his children. When you become a servant to serve others, Jesus absolutely loves it. We should simply seek the help of Jesus for ourselves and others through prayer. Take your problems to Jesus. 
So one was it's good to participate in social events and live in community. Number two is take your problems to Jesus. The third thing, the third lesson here is in verses four and five. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. His mother saith to the servants, Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. Here's the third lesson. Do what God says. Mary said, Whatever he says, do it. Now, I'll say this about God's commandments and what God says. And I want you to not misunderstand me, but I want you to understand me. God's commandments are not to be believed, but to be obeyed. And what I mean is we're not always going to understand why God says to do something. How many times have you ever told your kids that? I, I think I used to think as a kid, you know, I'm, I'm going I'm to give my kids a reason. It ain't going to be just because daddy says, guess what I do? Yeah. Well, because I'm, I'm your daddy, you know. There's a reason for it, though. God has his reasons. Amen. Gary Harvey taught me that. God has his reasons. When God gives a command, there is blessing tied to it in obedience to that. Exactly. He said, and what did he say to them? Fill the water pots. He didn't say, let there be wine. He could have. But he told man to do something. And a blessing followed. He made, okay, the blind man, he, he spits on the ground and the clay makes this whatever, some mud, puts it over the guy's eyes. Then what did he tell him to do? Go wash in the pool at Siloam. And when he washed, he could see. You see, there was blessing in the guy just doing what Jesus said. Amen. Simple, simple, simple. Right. It's really, God makes it simple for us, but we like to complicate it. You think Jesus didn't bless their effort tremendously when they did exactly what he said? What did he tell them to do? Go fill the water pots. That's right. With water. With water, yeah. Go fill the water pots with water. Thank you. <laughs> Go fill the water pots with water. Okay. They need wine, but he wants tells us to fill them up with water. Yeah. <laughs> but you know what they did after he told them to do that? They filled them up to the brim. They didn't question him. They just did it. Do you think it made sense to them at the time? Do you think they all were like, you know what, I bet you he's going to turn this into wine. Watch this. I don't think that's how that happened. I think, okay. He said, you ever done that in life? You really feel maybe the urge to do something that you really believe God's drawing you or pushing you to do something, and you have no idea why? I have. Like, I don't, I, why is this? But listening and obeying God is always, always, always the right choice. It is never the wrong choice. Because, you know, when God was creating this world and creating man and having, making this wonderful place for us to live that I read about earlier... I just don't believe that the God of the universe, who is a God of incredible order that we can't even comprehend, would just say, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make up some rules for them to follow. 
I think I'm just going to do that. Just, you know, just, just for the heck of it. I'm going to make up some rules for him to follow. You think God did that? You think that's why he did that? He knows what is best for us. Amen. He knows. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God knows what is best for us? And are you willing to follow Him fearlessly? The 73rd Psalm in the 24th, 24th verse says, Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel, and afterwards receive me to glory. Jesus talked about this in John chapter 14. In John chapter 14, beginning in verse 15, these are the words of Jesus. Very simple verse, John 14, 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Just talking about the Spirit of God coming, right? The Holy Spirit. Thank God we have that. I hope, I hope he's with us today in a special way. that he may abide with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, that goes along with what we talked about last night, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless, I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more, but ye see me, because I live, ye shall live also. At that day ye shall know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Judas said unto him, Not Iscariot. I love how John put that in there. And I don't want you to think this was Judas Iscariot here. Judas saith unto him, Not Iscariot. Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us and not unto the world? Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words. And my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. Now, is this saying that God's love for you is conditional on what you do? Absolutely not. But you know what? If you're not following God, if you're not obeying his command, you're not going to feel that love. That's right. And you're not... He says, I, If a man loves me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. That's not an invitation, right, for eternal salvation. That's right. That's right. And he's saying, if you will follow me, I will be with you, and the love of me and my Father will you feel, will you know. It will be manifest unto you. That's right. Know this as far as following God. The 23rd Psalm, just on just about every funeral home thing I've ever seen, right? One of the most, probably the most famous psalm. One, part of it says, um, He leadeth me in paths of righteousness for His great namesake. If you're going down a path in life that's not a path of righteousness, God is not leading you. If you want to know if God is leading you or not, check His Word. Because God, you cannot divorce God from His Word. Amen. The world's trying to do it. They've always tried to do it, but you cannot divorce him from his word. So, the third lesson there was do what God says. The fourth. This may be my favorite here. Be a servant. 
When we go back to John chapter 3, we just read that verse 5 where it says, His mother saith unto the servants, Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. If that's what a servant is, I want to be a servant. I want to do what God says. Do I know? I'm, I'm like Paul in Romans 7. I mean, I, 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 I don't so often. It says in verse 6, and there, were there, and there were set there six water pots of stone after the manner of the purifying of the Jews, containing two or three firkins apiece. Jesus saith unto them, Fill the water pots with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he saith unto them, Draw out now and bear unto the governor of the feast, and they bear it. Then when the ruler of the feast had tasted the wine that was made wine, and knew not whence it was, but the servants which drew the water, knew the governor of the feast, called the bridegroom, and said unto him, Every man is beginning to set forth good wine, and men have well drunk, then that which is worse, but thou hast kept the good wine until now. The governor of the feast just couldn't believe it. He said, This is the... The best wine, I, I guarantee it's the best wine the man had ever tasted. There's no doubt in my mind about it. It, it, it. Jesus made it. It was like Chick-fil-A's chicken. It was Jesus' chicken, right? But Jesus made this wine. And he said, I, I just can't get over this. The 104 Psalm that I read from earlier about how beautiful... It is to live life under the sun. What a creation God has made for us to live in. How beautiful it is. You know that every man who has ever been born on this earth, man, woman, child, whatever, even the most vile, wicked, that burst hell wide open if you'll have it when they died and still hate God to this day, they enjoyed God's common grace while here on earth. They got to enjoy that. The governor enjoyed this wine. I'm not telling you that the governor was wicked. That's not what my point. But everybody there enjoyed the blessings that Christ gave that day. Every single one of them. But they didn't know the source of it. They said, wow, this is great wine. And you know what? I don't think they cared about the source. Remember how I told you earlier? The reason I believe Christians can enjoy life more than those who aren't is because we don't just enjoy the gift, but we enjoy the giver of the gift. They were enjoying the gift that Jesus had gave. But they didn't know the source. The governor who enjoyed the wine, but he was ignorant of the miracle. Who knew about the miracle? The servants. The servants knew about the miracle. The high and mighty didn't know about the miracle. Forgive me for saying this. Those big important preachers trying to impress each other and learn the Bible in five different languages. Who cares? The ones who are out serving their congregation see the everyday miracles, right? You ever seen, and, I, and I'm not just going to limit this to preachers, but all of you who have seen someone come into the church, maybe grow up in the church, and you have seen their life drastically change when they met this man called Jesus. 
you have seen the miracle in their life. Just living in community and serving by them in your daily lives. The servants saw the miracle. Servant is a good word. The world looks at it as a bad word, but it's not. It is a good word. Romans chapter 6 will teach you you're going to serve something. You were created to worship. You're going to worship something on this earth. Man can claim that they don't worship anything. They worship their self. They're going to worship something. You know, atheists really crack me up. I've never seen anybody. I don't hate something that I think doesn't exist. They hate a God they don't think exists. I, I don't understand it. But in Romans chapter 6 and verse 16, Paul said, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. There you go. There's two things you can serve. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as ye have yielded your members servants to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield your members servants to righteousness unto holiness. For when ye were the servants of sin, ye were free from righteousness. What fruit had ye then in those things whereof ye are not now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus would say that he, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, Right? So this right here in Romans chapter 6 is a good lead-in as far as being a servant for the one big spiritual lesson here. Because Paul said, when you were servants of sin, what kind of fruit did you have of that? What, what, what was the end result? What's the tangible thing you could, you could get out of that? Right. So here's the one main spiritual lesson that goes along with that. When you look back in, in John 3... What did the, what did the uh, governor say about this wine? He, it says in verse 9, When the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and knew not whence it was, but the servants which drew the water knew, the governor of the feast called the bridegroom and saith unto him, Every man at the beginning doth set forth good wine. But when men have well drunk, then that which is worse. But thou hast kept the good wine until now. Look, I'm not going to sugarcoat this. You know what the man was telling him? You let them get good and liquored up a little bit, and then they, they give them the cheap stuff. That's, right. That's what he was saying. I'm just, I'm just trying to be plain. That's right. It's the same tactic. Here's the big spiritual lesson. That is the tactic of Satan. It is. Satan paints a beautiful picture. Especially young people, y'all listen to me. Satan is not this 
red-bellied figure with a long tail and a pitchfork and horns and making you think that everything is evil. Satan is the beautiful woman walking down the street that's not your wife that you might work with and get a little too close to. Satan is alcohol to the alcoholic. Satan is a little more money, but you may have to cut corners to get it. Oh, it looks good in the beginning. You remember what Solomon said about the pleasures the, the, uh, of a strange woman, the lips of a strange woman? In Proverbs chapter 5, he says, The lips of a strange woman drop as honeycomb, and, are, and her mouth is smoother than oil, but her end is bitter as wormwood, sharp as any two-edged sword. Hebrews chapter 11 talks about enjoying the pleasures of sin for a season. You see, here's the spiritual lesson. Satan shows you the best first and it's all downhill from there. Jesus saved the best for last. Amen. We live in the gospel age now. What a blessing to live on this side of the cross. Amen. Jesus said, Abraham saw my day and, rejo- and was glad and rejoiced in it. And was glad. Abraham saw my day and was glad, right? And Jesus told Thomas, he said, Thomas, you're blessed because you saw these things. After Thomas saw him after he was crucified, Thomas said, I ain't going to believe it. He said, come here, touch me. He said, blessed are you that have seen these things and believed. But you know who's really blessed? Those who haven't seen and believed. That's us, y'all. That's us. I, did, I, I have not seen Jesus with mine eyes. I haven't seen it. But I believe it, don't you? I can promise you I wouldn't have drove 10 hours out here to preach if I didn't believe it. That's right. I believe it. And God always saves the best for last. Oh, this world... I told you last night how old I was. So in case you forgot, I can tell you again, I'm 44. I don't think I'm old. I said something one time about being young. And what I meant is comparatively to and, and, you know, the age of a preacher... But Randall Cagle really jumped all over me and said, what does the 90th Psalm say about a man's life? You're smack dab middle age. You ain't young. Don't you dare say that. (laughs) Yes, sir. But my point is, we all start to go downhill, don't we? Physically. This body does. The prime of our life physically is what, 20s, maybe early 30s, and you start to go downhill a little bit. I saw a picture of Carl when he got married. He had hair. He did. I was getting my hair cut the other day, and this guy had a mirror up on the ceiling. I could see my scalp. I told him, I said, you got to get rid of that mirror. But you see what I'm saying? The, the world, the ways of the world, and, and the ways of Satan too, it's the best first, and it's all downhill from that. That's not the ways of God. You just follow Him. You just trust Him. You... Be around people who love Him and who are following Him. You take your problems to Him. You do what He says. And you be a servant unto Him. And life will just keep getting sweeter and sweeter and sweeter. Yes, the, the toils of this world take a toll on you. But the best is yet to come. The best can be yet to come in this world. And there will come a day, one day, when we see Jesus face to face. As that song Beulah Land says, when my faith shall end in sight, and I'll see my Savior who died for me. May God bless you.
Well, miracles are one of my favorite topics, and uh, I appreciate that. We do serve a miracle-working God, and it is remarkable what servants see. Servants are there in the thick of things, right? right? You're there when the work's being done. If you were serving a king, you would be in his chambers helping him with all sorts of things. You'd see all sorts of inner workings of that kingdom that if you said, I'm not going to serve, you'd never see any of it. Never see a lick of it. We serve a miracle working God and we should serve him. That is the truth. And you see things as a servant. How many times have you heard it declared? And you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. I hear that declared a lot. I think it's true. I almost always hear it declared in the context of you're going to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and hear what he's done for you. And that gospel truth is going to set you free. I believe that. I believe that is true. That is not what that verse is teaching, however. You know what's said in the verse before it? Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him. He's talking to believers. He's not saying, I'm going to tell you a gospel truth. It's going to set you free. It's going to regenerate your soul and send you to glory. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking to believers. He's talking to men who are currently in possession of eternal life. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. Literally, in what you do. If you'll do as I tell you to do, if you'll be a servant, if you'll live as I've told you to live, do that and ye shall know the truth. See that? There's a truth there he's talking about. It's on the backside of the gospel. Yes, the gospel is a liberating truth. It sets you free from all the guilt of conscience and all the things. What am I going to do about my sinful state? Right? I'm poor in spirit. You know, I have hunger and thirst for righteousness, but where am I going to get it? Well, the gospel tells you Jesus Christ is where you get it, and he gave it to you. He imputed it to you, and you didn't do nothing to get it. Now, knowing that... If you'll do as I've told you to do here, if you continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. There's something in being a servant that will set you free. And I suspect that many of God's people, many of God's regenerate people, remain in some measure of bondage to the degree that they do not serve God as they ought. And there's a freedom that's out there in that service. You made mention of one other thing that I wanted to point out. You said something about turning off the TV, turning off the news. And I can tell you that this is a conversation that I've had in small pockets with several people over the course of the last six months or a year. And have seen people bear fruit just on this thing. I'm going to turn that off. I was talking with Andrew on the way in today. It's like there's some things in this world you just don't have any control over. And you can sit there and stew in that all day long. A lot of it is politics if you're, if you're older. You can stew in it all day long. You can get stirred up in your flesh and you're just frustrated about it. But did we not say we serve a miracle working God and we can take these problems to Him? Can we not lay it at the Lord's doorstep and say, I don't know how all that's going to work out. I don't understand the elections and all this sort of stuff. I'm laying it at your feet. 
Lord, I'm not going to tell you how to do it. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you who the president needs to be next or whatever. I'm going to lay this problem before you and trust you in some measure of deliverance in it. And I'm going to do this. I want to aspire to be the blessed man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. That's basically what the news channels are. It's scorn. It's just ungodliness for the most part. Prognosticators, right? Experts. These people are secular prophets. If we had the time to sit down and write what these people are predicting is going to happen, you just wrote them down somewhere and then just went back and looked at it in six months, you'd find that there's thousands of secular prophecies there that never came true. And we're getting all spun up over it. We're watching these people. Oh, that person's an expert. Well, that's Carl Rove speaking there. He was in the White House at some point. He, must, he says must be what's going to come true. Get yourself all spun up on a bunch of scornful nonsense when we serve a miracle-working God. Let's set that aside and lay these things before the Lord. I appreciate those words. Inspire me to service. Thank you for listening to SuccessfulSavior.org, the ministry of Harmony Primitive Baptist Church.